Tonight, the Imperial Academy has joined up with Coruscant University to bring you a special exhibit on Imperial and historical arms and armor. We get a sneak peek behind the blast doors. And later, we pay tribute to an important member of the lightsaber community who is no longer with us. All that, and the Gundark Watch, at 11. Gotta watch out for those Gundarks. In the dark. With, with guns. guns. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, citizens of the galaxy, to another episode of Hoth Topics, a podcast about Star Wars. I am a weapon smuggler for the Rebel Alliance, Ian, and joining me is the Imperial Quartermaster, John. So, so Ian, yo, what are we doing today? So, I thought we could talk a little bit about some of the news, since uh, we are post-D23. Uh, we're not going to go super deep into it, because a million other people have. Mm-hmm. Just kind of get... Uh, Get yours and mine opinion, mine and yours opinion, you know, words and how they work, on uh, some of the stuff that comes out, maybe something that's interesting, and then kind of delve into a a topic that I think we both have a pretty big interest in, that being the weapons of Star Wars. That is a thing that we're going to talk about today. First off, the news, though. So we had a couple things come out of D23, including a new Mandalorian trailer. Uh, new footage from the Rise of Skywalker, and some more info on a couple of the other Disney Star Wars projects. Uh, one that I know is going to be very controversial, but I'm very excited for, and that being you and the Jungle Cruise ride movie. Oh, you mean action movie with Dwayne the Rock Johnson uh, releasing anytime this summer or next summer or until he's like sixty? Yeah, you. I'm actually upset that no one's talking about it. Everyone wants to talk about Star Wars, whatever. Jungle Cruise Ride, number two after. Star if it's Wars. if it's anything like the Jumanji, Jumanji sequel, it's, it's gonna, just going to be Jumanji. It's going to be a surprise hit because uh, honestly, I really enjoyed the Jumanji sequel, and I'm looking forward to the next one. I know it's going to be dumb, but yeah. I, I'm looking. But I guess that's all we really wanted to talk about. Yeah, today, right? I know. So uh, see, you see you guys later. Week. Yeah, but uh, Ewan McGregor has confirmed that he is returning as Obi Wan Kenobi. For a series. This is a step in the right direction. We've kind of talked in the past how an Obi-Wan movie might not be the best way to go. Maybe doing an Obi-Wan miniseries would be the way to do that. I think you and I kind of came to the same conclusion on that. If you're going to do anything Obi-Wan, kind of do it that way. I am a huge Obi-Wan Kenobi fanboy. He is my number one Star Wars character of all time. So, uh, actually, the thing that I really enjoyed was uh, I was in a class or something the morning of the D23 footage coming out, and John, you sent me two clips. One was, like, the live from the Rise of Skywalker stuff, and the other was cell phone footage. And I was looking at this this and going, what? And you said, the, the cell phone video is more important for you. Oh, yeah. The, like, the first thing I sent you was the Mando trailer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mando trailer. That's right. And you're like, you're going to be more interested in the crappy cell phone footage. I'm like, what is this? Uh, Obi-Wan confirmed! Oh, my God! From the Kenobi himself. I'm very excited about that. Don't ask me what it's going to be about, because they can go a bunch of different ways on it, and which could be good and could be bad. But we'll see. I'm just happy I get more Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan. And, you know, uh, one thing I was thinking about that is it could be kind of interesting with kind of some of the de-aging that they've done recently. We could potentially get some flashbacks to young Obi and Qui-Gon, which would be interesting. Mando trailer also came out. John, any thoughts on that? Actually, before I do that, do you have any thoughts on the Obi-Wan thing? 
I don't think you do, but... I haven't seen a lot of people talk, because there's, there's two things... Uh, and one actually goes into the Mandalorian mm-hmm. a little bit, so maybe that that will be our cleverly disguised segue that I call out. Yeah. Um, but on the the most recent episode of the Star Wars show, as per this recording, I believe Carboni mentioned that the uh, Obi-Wan project takes place eight years after the prequels. Mm-hmm. So that's 20 years before A New Hope. Um, Basically in an area where we could conceivably still see Ewan McGregor as... Solo was 10 years? According to this random link that I just clicked on. 10 to 13 years before A New Hope. So, Ian, what kind of stories do you think that sets him up for? Uh, Well, I can see it being a couple things. So, if it takes place that long after... I'm sorry, you said after A New Hope, you mean after Revenge, right? Eight, yeah, eight years after the prequels yeah, is yeah. when it starts, um, and then we'll say it's Obi Wan or the Solo takes place ten years. Yeah, yeah, before. You're right. So there's a little bit of a crossover overlap. There could yeah, be overlap. if it's if it's thirteen years, if it's the maximum range of that random website, then there's a year of overlap. I think sure. if I did my math right, which I'm bad at. Yeah, Ian's this, Ian's this math smart one. No, I'm not. That's he goes, why. He goes to school for math. No, I go to school and I'm forced to do math. There's a difference. Um, <laughs> uh, I can see it being a couple things. So Luke is gonna be—he's gonna be a kid, right? He's gonna be eight yeah. or nine, um, because he's—he's he's seventeen or eighteen, right? During uh, a new hope. So I can see this setting up a couple things. There is a story that they can kind of borrow from. It's a Legends book called Obi Wan, kind of with him dealing with uh, what's going down uh, on what Tatooine is going through and trying to help people versus trying to hide who he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, there could be maybe a threat to Luke that he has to take care of. We've seen some of that happen in the comics. Um, in the main run of the current canon Star Wars comics, there are a couple of uh, excerpts from Obi-Wan's journal, and they, he, they just kind of goes over some of the stuff that he did. I'm particularly fond of someone who knows that he's alive trying to get him to help them with something and kind of seeing how he deals with his duty of protecting Luke versus the call of his old Jedi life um, and kind of the dangers to himself. So I think it's going to be much more of a character study mm. than than kind of the wishbang kapow thing that we're used to. And I'm fine with that because if you're going to do that with anybody in Star Wars, Obi-Wan is a great character to do it, to do it for since he's so storied. Um, I get it. Already. So uh, that's just my two cents on it. So we'll see how yeah. it goes. What what I was looking up earlier is uh, also uh, when he showed up in Star Wars Rebels uh, with Maul because mm-hmm. I've been hearing a lot of people saying like oh maybe we'll, this will tie into what we learned in Solo with Maul running Crimson Dawn. That could um, be interesting. But it to me it seemed like Obi Wan wasn't aware of Maul until he showed up in Rebels. I agree with that. And I feel like it would be kind of weird to have him fight him and more than likely defeat him because it's an Obi-Wan story. And there'd just be this running gag of Obi-Wan not being able to kill him. 
Yeah, and, <laughs> and the time period doesn't really match up yeah. either. Because if, if he is going to hang out on Tatooine and watch Luke until he no longer is able to... Until he's out of Guinness. There's... There's not going to be much op. Like there is opportunity for him to leave the planet for a little bit. Sure. But like he wouldn't go on a galaxy-wide crusade to find Maul or fight Maul or anything that would pull him away from what is now is his main duty. Right. So uh, my concern has always been with an Obi-Wan series is that there's there's not much story to tell in the sense of a ongoing. The, the, I feel the material like it would need to be more. Each episode would need to be a more contained adventure. Like if they did, he's going to be starting at point A and then gets to point B uh, by the end of the series. I feel like that continuity would cause it's the, a little slow. Yeah, it would either be slow, but they'd be slow because there isn't much to tell other than oh, he's going to go help this person, do this, or go help this person. But be the same thing. Uh, it'd be like the A team, but Star Wars, because each week they just help a different person do something. Right. Um, and they were outlaws or wanted by the government. I don't remember. Um, but uh, the thing that I'd be interested to see that I highly doubt they would do because it would be complicated would to take uh, multiple different story arcs from Obi-Wan's past. Like, we know that he had something with uh, Satina Mandalore mm-hmm. that's just kind of alluded to in The Clone Wars, but we never really, we never really dive much in that series about what that was. Right. Uh, so it'd be kind of interesting to see that also because it'd be cool to see more live-action Mandalorians. Yeah, maybe. Though that weird Mandalorian pacifist culture kind of strange. <laughs> um, but and as you mentioned earlier with the the facial youngening, I believe that's the technical term. Yeah. Yes. Youngening. Youngening. Um, yes. Youngening sounds like a hot word. But so we've seen that. So we know that they could do something that takes place in that period and it wouldn't be too unfeasible to see them being able to do that with the technology sure get uh and i kind of and like as 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 before mentioned like i'm nervous that if it's a multi multi-season series no. there's not enough story to tell that would be compelling week to week right like i, I don't i don't want to see firefly where we're just hanging out on the mother's planet all week mm-hmm. yeah i do yes you do i do i, 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 know I want mean, more firefly though. Make Firefly 2 happen. Well, have you seen the <laughs> Mandalorian ship? I know, basically, yeah. yeah. A friend of the show, Tim, pointed that out. Yeah. He's like, oh, thanks for bringing back, uh, thanks for bringing back Serenity. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, I see so, Obi-Wan as a miniseries. Yeah, um, and, well, th- and that's, that's the thing, is if, the thing that I want to see is, would be short stories, uh, a few episode arcs, and then move on to another story. But, uh, yeah, I think you're right, that if, if they keep it as a limited series, I think it would be far more effective. Because he is a a fan loved character, and I th- oh. they they run the risk of doing harm to that character, or the character that we know, by pro- prolonging and bringing that out. Because as Americans, we don't know how to end shows. Right. No, I agree. I was talking to our friend Tia about that actually. Uh, we I think I said you know four to nine seasons, four to eight seasons is kind of your max. If you go nine or more, you're kind of pushing. You're either going to run out of ideas, or you're going to start recycling things. I'm I'm down with two to three seasons. Yeah, because then because that way, if you, if you go in knowing you're going to have um, a, this limited amount of run amount of time to tell a story, you're going to conclude that story instead of just leave the season ending on a cliffhanger, hoping you get picked up 
Yeah, I wish I wish Americans would be more like us Californians. Sure, and we're also going to get some you know Western action. It looks like with the Mandalorian. And speaking of the Mandalorian, I really don't have anything to say about it other than it looks cool. It's coming out in like a month, and I'm looking forward to it. And I'm I'm stoked. I mean, it looks fun. It looks like that real Star Wars Western sort of thing. It, and it does kind of look like Firefly. Yeah, it and does. I'm, I am fine with that. Right, because I miss Firefly. We've always kind of had these stories where it's either the heroes or the villains interacting with the criminal underworld. Mm. We haven't really had a story except for maybe Solo where it's just about the criminal underworld and mm-hmm. how they operate. But that'll be interesting to kind of see how that uh, plays out. Yeah. I'm excited. It, I'm excited for it too. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to go too much deeper into it just because it is coming out so soon. When it does come out, I'm sure we're going to watch it and have more to talk yeah. about it. So just moving on from that. Um, I don't think there was anything else. No, not in terms of news. Like there was oh, the... one thing. Yeah. I think I know exactly what you're going to no, talk about. No, I'm talking about, about I think it's on the Mandalorian. Yes. Oh, okay. Um, there was, there's a quick shot of a dude riding what appears to be a T-Rex variant of a Dubek. Okay. Uh, it's a big lizard creature. Really small front hands. Uh, it's a beast of burden. Little dude riding out oh, that I thought was Masconata. Yeah. It's not Masconata, but the little image that I saw of a, of a model of it made me think that. But... I think those things are called gores. Uh, something like that, yes. But you know you know where they showed up first? Ian, you know where they showed up? Huh. The Ewok movies. Huh. Booyah. Uh, also, also some Twilight showed them in uh, the Clone Wars or Rebels. I don't remember. One uh, of the cartoons, they were they were there too. Yeah, and uh, they are, they're mounts that you can get, get in the uh, uh, the Old Republic. I had a it's, couple. It just makes me happy that... They're not called gores. I think they somebody, can get with G, though. No, Gore is a rock group. They, yeah, I know. They wear but... costumes, right? But I do know their basis is Beefcake the Mighty, and that's yep. a great name. Oh, the lead singer's name is Odorous. Odorous? Odorous something. He's keeper of the Cuttlefish of Cthulhu. Oh, that's... Yeah, that's so I think that's it for news and stuff. Well, Yeah, definitely no other trailers came out. Oh, right. Crap. Uh, not, not at all. Let's move Rise on. Rise of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker. We had new footage. Uh, again, I'm excited for it. Um, uh, I will. I will admit there was one thing uh, that happened where uh, John sent me the ray with the double bladed red lightsaber thing, and my my first instinct was just to go ugh. But then you know, I, after two seconds of thought, I'm just like, well, this is obviously not what it seems, or else I wouldn't put it in the trailer, yeah. sort of thing. And even if it was, you know, like that's no reason to get you know, grumpy about anything. Like, we're, we're just trying to, uh, you know, be excited for this film. And um, honestly, I actually haven't gone back and watched any of that footage a second time. I watched it once. Uh, I absorbed it. I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. Like I said, I'm trying to do a lot less speculation for Rise of Skywalker than I did with The Last Jedi. Mm. Um, I'm trying to preserve that first viewing experience for myself. Uh, more than I did with the other films because I know this might be the last um, Star Wars film we get on screen for a, a while uh, on on the big screen. So I really wanted. I, I'm really trying to like preserve that. But I mean, everything I saw, it looks cool. You know, the Carrie Fisher footage looks cool. She looks like Carrie Fisher. She doesn't look like uh, you know. Um, I know they did like a bunch of digital replacements for costuming and the and the. And the environment behind her, but you know, multi-million dollars of uh, 
of mouse money. Mouse money will get you that. Um, well, I mean, a lot of it's going to be footage from Force Awakens. They didn't yeah. use. Yeah, but other than that, like everything looks cool and good and fine, and I'm excited to see it. Lots of lots of lots of star destroyers. How many star destroyers? Uh, all the star destroyers. Like the the only thing they could do that would cause me to really not enjoy what they're gonna do is to mess with the time travel stuff, and I've ranted about that. Time and time again, I'm not going to expose anybody else to it. But that's what if? What if, Ian? We we keep hearing that like the new Disney movies. At least I do. That the new Disney movies try to pull things off and they don't. But then the next Marvel movie pulls off the exact same thing but better. Have you ever seen seen this discussion? I kind of see where you're going with this. So so the last Avengers movie was very focused on time travel. That wasn't time travel, but then it was time travel, and then they abandoned it at the end. So, what if they do time travel better than Endgame? No. <laughs> Moving on. Um, so, yeah, I think that... that did, do you have any anything to say about um, the rise of Skywalker stuff? As, as mentioned a billion times, and I'll mention a billion times, the sequel trilogy isn't my favorite part of the trilogy, but that doesn't mean I hate it. It's just that I, I grew up with the original trilogy, I, and I don't compare them to right. each other. Uh, it's just that I, I'm more invested in that the um, oh they changed the names of the eras. So Age War, of Rebellion. Civil War uh, era. They're Age all of they're all AOR now. They're Age of Age of Republic, Age of Rebellion, and Age of Resistance are the official type names for the saga huh. eras. Saying that, this movie looks like it's a Star Wars. It looks like it's from what they've released a bright fun adventure, uh, with swords, guns, lots of people screaming, big big murdery type vehicles and such that will probably end satisfy, satisfy, satisfactionally. The trailer made it to me feel like they're kind of going back to the... are trying to push it more as a like a pulp adventure mm-hmm. type thing that like the the original... Tr- at least A New Hope was kind of trying to be like Flash Gordon sort of. Sure. Um, so I'm interested in that. The only other thing I was interested in in the trailer is when they did the the dark ray reveal with her double bladed lightsaber. Mm-hmm. I was when I found out about the saber. I was wa- watching monitoring somebody's live tweets since they couldn't bring cameras in. Right, they couldn't take pictures. So I heard Ray in dark robes uh, with a double bladed lightsaber, which made me happy because after Force Awakens came out, I made that costume for my friend. Yeah, with Darth Maul's saber on a PVC pipe that the emitters were on the ends of the pipe and. You hit a button and you can collapse the the emitters in on each other, revealing the lightsaber. So instead of the lightsaber coming out, you basically pull the hilt across the lightsaber to reveal it. Right. So I was like, oh, who nailed it? Who called it? And then I started seeing everybody on Twitter who had done that. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, like, look who called it first. I'm like, oh, y'all suck. Yeah. But then I saw the the trailer and it was the the flip out style that the uh, Temple Garden Rebels was using. Um, Which I, I I see people saying like, what's the point of that? I think it's just for storage because yeah. holding a double sided blade on your leg, if you're a short person, isn't a super right. useful thing. And it's that's like a two foot long, you know, yeah. stick that you have to carry around in your belt. So, um, but there's a lot of stuff we could talk about that every every podcast you've listened to, right? The week after, or the day after that came out. Yeah, we'll, we'll save we'll save our, our in-depth analysis for when the actual stuff comes out. So, um, 
And uh, we should we should throw up that that dark gray cosplay. I was gonna that. throw it up on Twitter, but I don't talk to Catherine as much as I used to, and so I didn't want to throw it up there without her permission. Well, t- toss it up on our site. So it's already on the site, I believe. Uh, I didn't see it in a propaganda, but maybe it's like in one of the articles. I think it's in one of the articles. Okay, so yeah, you can you can search around for that. Oh you no, know, it's it's uh, it's on my personal blog, which is. Uh, madmodcontraptions.blogspot.com which hasn't been updated in a long time three or four years a long time we started this podcast well John I think that's enough for news let's talk things that go boom and pew and so let's talk Star Wars weapons like weapons are Star Wars weapons are one of like the key signifiers of Star Wars. You know, you see you see a blaster from Star Wars, you see a lightsaber, and you, you kind of automatically know, oh, that is from Star Wars. Just the specific designs that they have, mm. the look about them, and they're very iconic things. I think what we should do is kind of talk about some of our favorite guns, some of our favorite designs for the blasters. Uh, I know you know a, a decent amount about... I'll go over that later because yeah. I just have a clever way to tie that into an article. The the last article I posted on the website. Oh, sweet! Yeah, so, so uh, we'll we'll go yeah. over that. But uh, so what? What uh, we have a bucket of E11s around here somewhere it's in my closet. Yeah, that's it's not a joke. It's a it's a Rogue One popcorn tin that has six E11s in it at the moment. What are some of your favorite blasters and, and why? I like. All the blasters. <laughs> uh, I know it's kind of like a cheap catch-all, but it is. It's it's because of the ingenuity of the new uh, the original trilogy's prop department kind of started created what this universe's weapons were going to be by taking real-world weapons and slapping random bits of plastic onto them to create something that is uniquely Star Wars, but yet still familiar. Which is what I think helps bring a lot of the Star Wars films to people um, to, to those familiar shapes right. being slightly different uh, you know, helps us immerse ourselves in the world so it's something that you could see going to, well basically what they did and going to a store, buying something that exists and making it slightly different. As a favorite blaster, that's like really hard for me to choose because some of them are like really, like the, the DLT-19 is what the Sand Troopers carry. They really didn't do much to modify that to make it Star Warsy. It's just a German machine gun. And then there's other ones like the, the E-11, which is a British Sterling uh, submachine gun from the 50s. Right. That thing got a lot more stuff glued onto it to make it similar to, like, familiar, but completely different. That's become one of the things that I do now when I watch these movies is look at the guns and see if I can figure out what they were based on. And it's it's something that I really appreciate when you do it because you know, like you said, it really makes the universe feel real. Mm-hmm. And because you know, like you can tell me what gun it's made from, and I can look at that gun and just be, it also helps my immersion into the world because it's like, oh, I can totally see this as a thing that exists, mm-hmm. you know, or would exist. At, I had a at Comic Con. I had a fun discussion with one of the guys manning the Lucasfilm booth. Where they had the all the armor on display, and they had just put out the the new Sith trooper. And I went up to him and I was like, "Hey, like I'm kind of like a prop guy. Like I like I like the weapons in Star Wars. Do you, do you know what that gun's based on? Uh, the Sith trooper's gun." 
and he pulls out his phone and he's like showing me all these pictures he took uh, when they were unwrapping it uh, from store uh, from the shipping. Uh huh. And he's like, I'm not sure what the body is, but it's definitely a Glock. Huh. And then he shows me pictures and it's definitely a Glock handle, uh, which is similar to the first order pistol. Uh huh. Is a Glock in a a body hou- a housing that's you turn your Glock into a, a carbine length rifle. Right, right, It just right. took the, the buttstock part off. Okay. Um, and that's kind of what this, this kit looks like. Uh, just a, a drop-on carbine kit. Though, knowing that the technology they have now, they probably uh, got the Glock as the base and then 3D pr- like designed something and 3D printed something they could drop in. Uh, one thing that I really enjoy about something that they did in the prequels for weapons is that they really started to bring in this idea of galactic weapon standard and planet or culture-based weapons being different. Like, if we look mm-hmm. at Naboo and, like, the kind of stuff that the Naboo guard have... You know, it's a lot sleeker, it's a lot shinier, it matches the ships that they have, it matches sort of the architecture, and you kind of explore that further down into wherever you end up going. Like in the Clone Wars a lot, there are you see different societies and they have different looking weapons or um, stuff like that. And yeah. that it, it gives more life to, to the world. My, personally, my favorite uh, Star Wars gun is the DC-15 rifle. It's the big, long rifles the clones use. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why. I just really like the way that thing looks. <laughs> and is is that also based on a Sterling? No. No? Um, the guns that the clones had were just simplified versions of what the Empire used for the most part. Mm-hmm. But because none of those props were like really made. Right. Um I think they had more free reign to kind of like do their own thing. Like it sure. has, it has similar. Like it, the 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 shapes are similar. The buttstock but... and sort of like the uh, the 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 pistol grip and the trigger guard, like that. Well, yeah, kind of so, looks like that. Uh, if you, I don't know if it's actually no, it's in the cupboard. But yeah, the, the DLT nineteen I right. made out of out of balsa wood. Yeah, balsa wood uh, pipe. Because I don't have the tools to round out the, the buttstock mm-hmm. like it should be on a real uh, MG34, I believe. Sure. Um, it's all blocky and actually looks like the DC-15 style. So I think they just simplified the the shapes because the the standard blaster that they use, you're, it does look like an E11. Right. Just, it doesn't have, it doesn't have the, the fins on the barrel. It doesn't have trying to remember back what it looks like the the iron sights are more simplified i think they're just two wires doesn't have a giant flashlight stuck to the bottom of it for no reason the dc-15 does yeah i know that's that's (laughs) what i'm talking about oh gotcha i was like well e11s and rogue one had flashlights so i really like the that and yeah the other thing too that i really like is i like uh the the han slash luke uh dl44 type pistols i really like that um, I like those a lot. They're just they're just fun looking. The scopes are useless. It's well, and, and that's another one of the things they did where it's just like they didn't really bother to change all that much uh-huh. off of a, a German C96 Mauser right. pistol. They just glued some stuff to the side. Right. Uh, glued some stuff to the front of the magazine well, mm-hmm. and then got a I believe it was a a flash hider from an anti aircraft gun and bolted it to the front. Yeah. And that that was it. Yeah. And it's so easy to really customize these Star Wars sort of guns and props. And 
that's the thing about it. these these they're fun they look fun and they look real and i think those two things are what really make some of them iconic like you don't need to know that hans blaster is called a dl44 but if i say hans blaster any star wars fan knows what that yeah. looks like you know yeah. if i say the stormtroopers guns anybody knows what those look like well and i i think you have a you have a good point there with the they look real mm-hmm. um they look like they can do damage where a lot of the sci-fi coming out of that time you'd have laser guns that were sparkly and like they looked like they were toys these didn't look like toys they looked like heavy pieces of metal shooting out plasma that burns your face off yeah and like that... directly behind you is a, a joke gun i made that's i took a bunch of easter eggs and glued them together <laughs> and i made a gun that looks like it's a the only way to describe it is a 1950s ray gun yeah it's super bubbly the the ray gun from uh, um, Fallout Four. Oh or yeah, Fallout yeah. in general. Yeah, that's I made something like that for fun. Yeah, and the like future, you look at it, the future fifties. Yeah, sort of. It looks like a toy, and it doesn't look like it would hurt you. But Han's gun looks like it will hurt you. Yeah, that thing's weighty. <laughs> and I don't know if anybody, you know, any of our listeners have ever played, you know, like any Star Wars game where you get to shoot a blaster, but like there's. There's some that they feel weighty even though in those games. Like if I play Battlefront two, you know, just watching the recoil and the sound design of the guns, mm-hmm. like when a blast point hits something, it doesn't disappear into light, like it leaves an impact mark. There's smoke. Yeah. The the opening battle of A New Hope, where the stormtroopers and the rebels are facing off and the sparks and the smoke, the the way the actors get hit and and they're flying backwards at the impact. That scene by itself really helps to establish that this is a war. These are weapons of war. They are made to harm people. Mm-hmm. They are made to have that that impact and that that grit. And that's, you know, I think that scene alone really helps set up the the what how we think about weapons in Star Wars, mm-hmm. um, especially blasters, because I could say a laser gun, but a minute I say blaster, you're thinking of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I I wouldn't describe any other gun as a blaster for any other sci-fi thing, just just because of how I associate blasters with Star right. Wars. You know, I would say plasma gun or laser gun or you know whatever there's a lot going for the production design behind star wars guns that just really make them iconic and make them a big part of the universe well what what's one of your favorite um well real quick going going back yeah you're talking about how the blasters they feel dangerous right um one of the things that i think really helps with that in star wars is is the sound design of them oh absolutely Um, a DL-44 on paper in the stories and stuff is described as a heavy blaster. And in the movies, when, when Han shoots that thing off, you feel like it's a heavy blaster. You feel that it is a high-caliber weapon. Right. Um, when when Padme is pulling out her those sleek pistols she has on Naboo and just blasting battle droids back and forth, you know, it doesn't it doesn't have the same sound effect as, as the DL-44, mm-hmm. as the as the E11 and I think I believe Ben Burt went did an outstanding job with designing those sounds to be to not only be sci-fi soundy but also sounding 
giving you that that audio cue of how powerful one of these weapons could be. Absolutely. So like when you when you see Han shoot a stormtrooper and you see how far they fly back, like you know he's shooting a dangerous gun. Yeah. So what what's uh, what's one of your favorite like blaster firefights in Star Wars? The D Day scene of um, of Rogue One. Mm. We in in the movies because the focus is in in the uh, not Rogue One um, or Solo really right um, because of we need to focus on these specific main characters and their story. Um, we never really see a big firefight. Mm-hmm. I say that and now I'm like thinking of oh, what about the or the, the droids attacking um, the Naboo? Yeah, no, I know that I say that I'm thinking of all these battles, but right the the battles, the big battles in the Clone Wars era movies, you know, were for the most part see like all CG, CG, and like the problem with CG is it doesn't hold the same weight as something realistic. Mm-hmm. And I think at least for me, I can see that. But like Rogue One, we saw like a full on force on force uh, firefight, which I thought was really cool and not something we've really seen in 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 the live action. I should say. That's why I'm kind of excited for the Mandalorian because I feel like we're gonna see more blaster firefights. Oh, did because, the uh, giant pile of stormtrooper helmets stacked up on the ground on spikes give you that idea? No. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> it's just, that's what you do when you defeat a stormtrooper. You put right. their head and put their head on a spike. Yeah. Not me walks. Each of Yumna, I think some of the best firefights happen in the Clone Wars because that is so focused on military, uh, Republic clones, mm-hmm. and also um, they get a lot more chance to play around with tactics. You know, in the in the live action movies, you get a couple action scenes a piece, and no matter how long your movie is, you need to get the point across within your 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 timeline, right? Within within your mm-hmm. time frame. And when you're a series, especially when you have multi episode arcs like the Umbara arc, like the Return to Geonosis arc, there are these opportunities for these clones who are soldiers to use more interesting tactics have interesting tactics used on them so um so yeah that's the blasters but if you have guns you also need to have something to back yourself up when you don't have a gun more guns Uh, and those would be kind of the melee weapons and one of the things that i find interesting about non-lightsaber melee weapons in star wars is how that they vary a lot more than the blasters do in terms of what they are and how they're used and by who they're used. And kind of what I mean by that is if we look at Jabba's palette, we got the Gamorrean guards, right? And the Gamorrean guards have those big axes. I don't know if they're canonically vibro axes or not. Kind of makes sense if they are. Axes. But, uh, you know, just these big, massive, just axes. They fit, you know, the sort of thing. But, like, why, though? Everybody in there has a gun. And then you look at police forces I've seen in like some of the comics that have stun batons mm-hmm. and then you've got people who are just hitting people with their guns and then you've also got you know these the Ewoks you know they're just using spears and rocks and all that stuff and, but I don't really think melee weapons as a concept in Star Wars really had anything in it other than the lightsabers of course until we got Knights of the Old Republic the video game because out of a necessity for a game balance thing, they had to give them something 
that say, okay, we want you to be able to fight Jedi and Sith, but we want you to be able to do it without having to be a Jedi or a Sith sort of thing. So they introduced the idea of vibra weapons. So what do you think about kind of like the non-saber melee weapons in Star Wars? Is there anything that stands out to you? I know it's a weird sort of like sub-genre. To, to, for me, they they don't really stand out as as much. Sure. Um, because they kind of are just your run-of-the-mill, to me at least, they're run-of-the-mill sci-fi melee weapon. Take an axe and put an electric edge on it. Take a yeah. Take take a spear and make the tip vibrate so it can cut through steel quicker. Sure. But all we ever we never really see anybody using them. Or the only person really that gets any like good melee stuff in is uh, Chirrut Imwe. Yeah, with his uh, in the stick. movies at least. Yeah. yeah. And he's he does he does pretty good. Do oh Ray 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 walked around beating people with a stick for a while. Yep. I like Ray's staff a lot actually, mm-hmm. but I like Ray a lot. The, uh, yeah, I just, I just, I don't. I know that they're there. I know that for the most part, it's the underworld that's going to use them. That's that's pretty standard mm-hmm. for really any sci-fi sort of thing. The one that stands out to me the most are the the Imperial Guard force force pikes, pike things. Yeah, sure, basically. But they're taser in- guns on poles, right? But they're <laughs> an interesting design, mm-hmm. and I like them. And then there, you've also seen, and we've also seen in some of the comics that, you know, they'll uh, those guards will like armor up and go in with uh, vibro swords and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of interesting. The melee weapons just don't get a lot of love if they're not a lightsaber in Star sure. Wars. Which brings us to kind of our final category for weapons today. If you're listening to this, you know what a lightsaber is. Hopefully, if you don't, uh, meet, come find me. I'll educate you. Um, One thing, like, people might not realize is that there are different types of lightsabers than just what we see on the film. But the thing I think I like most about lightsabers is how the appearance of them can tell you about the person who wields them. You know, it it had the same sort of thought process as the blasters, right? Just a bunch of stuff that they threw Mm. together with other parts, and it gives it that iconic Star Wars... This is real, this is a thing you know, sort of look makes it believable, but as the lore of lightsabers grew, because it was a very popular thing, each one got more and more sort of personalized, and with more personalization came uh, ideas about what a lightsaber is, what it does, who uses one, what what do they look like when they're used. They just looking at some, they have they have stories to them, you know. Mm. Um if you look at Darth Sidious's saber, there's like a whole thing about how he entire reason the Emperor got good at lightsaber combat was just to give a middle finger to the Jedi. And so he designed his lightsabers to have like Electrum in them, which is like a holy thing for or, or a sign of mastery for, for Jedi um, to have that metal in your saber. There is these like dark and spiky things that Sith sometimes use. The claw on Darth Tyrannus slash Count Dooku's thing gives it its own, you know, unique appearance. So that's that's one of the things I like most about lightsabers in terms of their design is each one can have a unique design and a unique look that helps tell a story of a character, but at the same time is totally recognizable as a lightsaber. 
what's interesting about the lightsaber is just in general as a sci-fi trope almost of mm-hmm. how, how what's the next evolution of swords put a laser on it right and there are so many other franchises that have laser swords right but when you see a laser sword you don't immediately think of anything other than star wars mm-hmm. unless you've been living in a hole i think it comes down to the same thing you were talking about before with the combination of the the aesthetics the real look of these things mm-hmm. and the sound design i think that's what makes them I mean, how many times have you been in your house swinging a stick around and making Dude, noises? when we first started doing sabers, none of my sabers have sound in them right now. I will occasionally make the noise without thinking. I'll just be sitting there just going like... You caught me once. Yeah, you were just like, times. Are you Are you making the noise? I'm like, crap, am I? That That's sort of the, the thing with lightsabers. Some people, you know, see a design and they don't like it, and some people see a design and they love it, and I think the reason why there's, like, such a hotly debated thing about lightsabers whenever a new, like, thing comes out, whether it's super cool or super terrible, is because it's such an iconic weapon mm. that, you know, with the, the the lore of a lightsaber is kind of taken on a life of its own. You know, people take it very seriously. So, do you have a favorite lightsaber type? Uh... My favorite saber type and something I've been trying to... I want to figure out how to make for our saber group, even though it would be super detrimental to any combating that I do, uh, is I'm a big fan of the proto-saber. Okay. Which is the... I don't know if it's still canon. The ancient Jedi's first, like, variants of the lightsaber, which is the lightsaber you know and love, and it has a hose coming out the bottom connected to a power pack on a belt. Yeah. I've been trying to figure out how to make a quick disconnect for if I'm fighting with one, it would rip the pipe out and then mm-hmm. without harming my either the electronics and then also turn off my lightsaber, which would be huh. really cool. Super not useful in actual like uh, saber sparring uses because I'm just adding something right. to make me lose faster. Right. But I, I just I like I like the ingenuity of that. Yeah. The proto saber came about during the infinite empire wars i believe with the ricotta they had essentially the proto sabers did it were like let's use these and made their own and they evolved yeah so that's kind of you, do you cool. have a lightsaber design that you le- like the least uh that i like the least that's a better question for me honestly that i like the least you know i i could do some of the sith sabers that have these big swaths coming out around them. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not a huge fan of them. There, there's one. I think I don't. I don't remember who has it. I think it's an old Republic type blade, but it basically just has like two hatchet-sized archer blades on either side where the emitter comes out. They're like three or four inches like tall, and they're like an inch and a half like out. The thing looks like a mace, like a regular mace without the saber being turned on and it it just it it goes a little far into the i have spikes on my thing and that makes me evil like that's not subtle storytelling (laughs) so anything with those like big long ridiculous sort of spike it could be done right i really like dooku's uh saber and it has that law that comes out Mm. on the end of it but it's it's elegant you know there's Um, there's there's one design that popped up uh i think last year that I very much dislike. 
And okay. I believe they released them for the Old Republic, I want to say. Okay. I think they were trying to play on more of the, the cross guard oh. style of saber. Yeah, I know. Or like they needed that. a place to vent extra energy. Right. So they released sabers that had tiny, the cross guard sized blades no. coming out the bottom of the saber. That is stupid. Like that, that, you're just asking to stab yourself in the leg. It's not. I under, like, I understood the design philosophy is like, oh, how could we redirect this energy in a different way for our right. new saber? But, um,. Maybe not that way. Yeah, maybe not maybe. that way. I don't know. I'm not. A, I'm not no Jedi's. Yeah. I like Ezra's gun saber because I want to put a gun on my saber. The gun saber I didn't like at first, and then the more I saw it being used, uh, I came around to it. Well, I, I think you have to put it in the context. Yeah, sure, if, absolutely. If Ahsoka Tano came out with a blaster on her saber. Who, who in the Jedi Order let this happen? Yeah. Ezra Bidger is not part of the Jedi Order. Right. He's being taught by a Padawan. Right. Who hasn't been part of the Order in 20 years. Right. And this kid only knows how to, be, how to be a, a street rat and riffraff. I, I think in, in Ezra's context, that blaster makes sense. I have to... I, have, I just realized I have to retract my favorite saber. It's not a proto-saber. It is a saber that... It is a weapon held within the Jedi archives that you place lightsabers into, and then you shoot lightsaber energy out of. And I'm a big fan of taking lightsabers and turning them into weapons that shoot things. I don't think there's precedence in that in Star Wars, is using kyber crystals as a way to generate energy to destroy <laughs> things. Right? Yeah, that, that gun that Jocasta knew found in the Temple of Archives that's a gun powered by lightsabers. Who would make it? Why? I love that. It's and it's so like in our saber group, uh, we don't really do a lot of exotics training, like two handed, two right. weapon. Uh, but I would love to go to a tournament that had exotics and just pull out a saber gun. <laughs> like the thing about that that sort of bothers me. It's not because there's a lightsaber that you. It, it's it's a gun that shoots lightsabers. The thing that bothers me is that you shoot it like a couple times. And then it burns out the lightsaber. And lightsabers are supposed to be these, like, you know, incredibly hard to create, like, rare things. Well, and it's just like, who would design this weapon? That's probably why it was in the archives, not widely adopted by the Order. Yeah. Is that they couldn't figure out a way to, uh, to harness the kyber crystal without it being an explosive. Yeah. The Empire figured it out. Yeah, they did. But then the First Order did. Yep. And then maybe the Emperor again. Possibly. Giant Hurtball 4, here we come. Giant Hurtball 4, let's do it. I mean, we know there's going to be a Death Star. I mean, there is a Giant Hurtball, it's just a question of which one it is. It's probably two. It's probably two. Yeah. It's Holy like, fuck. It's a completely different one. It's just like, how many of these do you have stashed away? Oh, can we, can we please have whatever Palpatine is in this movie, even if he's just like a ghost possessing somebody, go... Something to the effect of your friends are going to find out this fully operational ruin yeah. or something. It's just like the ruin of just shooting lasers into space aimlessly. <laughs> they blew up the core, not the guns. Stupid. Uh, well, I think that's uh, anything else to add on the lightsabers before no, we close up today? Lightsaber guns, number one. Uh, no, not not at all. Most I'm, efficient way to lightsaber. I'm a big fan of, uh, of the Jedi Temple Guard lightsabers. I just like Temple Guards in general. I also like double bladeds. Um, they're pretty fun. Revan's hilt is one of my favorite hilts. 
But I did want to bring up uh, one other hilt uh, that meant something very special to a friend of ours. Our friend Steve uh, really, really enjoyed Obi-Wan's uh, lightsaber hilt uh, from the prequels. And we, we lost Steve a couple weeks ago. He is one with the Force now. He was a founder of San Diego Sabres, and without him we would not have figured out that group existed, let alone how, mm. how awesome they were. Yeah, he was He's, one of our first guests back on episode 26 yeah. when we uh, brought him in to talk about San Diego Sabres. Yeah, and he was he was great on that. Um, he, he's he's probably still annoyed that we're still using snowballs. Oh, 100%. Even to this point. He's upset uh, with us right yep, now. Yeah, absolutely. He's going to force Ghost in and just give us a list of things we can't afford. And that's the way and that's the way he would help us. But, <laughs> you know, he he's a uh, he was he was really an amazing guy and he touched a lot of people's lives through through his love of Star Wars and uh, not just through San Diego Sabres but through many other things. So, uh, if you are listening to us here on a podcast, you may have heard his voice on the on our podcast or on as a guest on many others or on or, his own or on his own the <laughs> San Diego Sabres radio podcast. Even though Steve's no longer with us, his advice is still with us. His everything he's done for the community is still here and he's going to be sorely missed. So we would like to dedicate this episode to Steve, Steve Kirk. May the force be with you. And I think that's going to do it for this episode of Hoth Topics. Any last-minute things to add, John? Uh, to go back to guns real quick, at the end of July, I posted up an article on our website, my newest Imperial Propaganda. Prop. <laughs> oh, I get propaganda. it. It's prop. <laughs> I'm clever. And it basically is talking about kind of what we talked about earlier a little bit, but going more in-depth in uh, what blasters in Star Wars and the guns that they were based off of, and also tying that into... Uh, an idea I had of starting a Star Wars costuming airsoft group because a lot of these weapons are available as airsoft replicas mm-hmm. that would just need a little bit of modification uh, using toys of, of the Star Wars guns or going on Etsy and buying resin kits of the props and stuff. Uh, go take a look at that or don't or whatever. Um, and where can they find that article, Joe? Uh, oh, that's uh, on a website. HTTP colon backslash backslash www.hothtopicspodcast.com and it should be on the front page i think there'll be maybe two articles down because it'll be our last episode um, yeah our last ep- this episode our last episode and, and then finally that one, that one. Yeah. also you should be able to click on the imperial propaganda link uh on the toolbar at the top and that should be listed there once I remember to actually add it to the list of those articles. We are going to be having more episodes coming up soon. Uh, lots of stuff to talk about with all the new stuff that's going to be releasing in the next couple months. We'll try to get some more topics and, yes, and photos and projects and articles and episodes out for you, the viewers, but or listeners, rather, because you're not viewing us right now. If you have a particular topic that you want us to cover going forward, please let us know. We are happy to... Thank you for joining us on Hoth Topics, a podcast about Star Wars. I've been Ian. And I just want to remind you that alien languages feed the alien thoughts. Let's keep things basic. From all of us at Hoth Topics... No. All of us. No. Mostly Ian. Just just John. Mostly Ian. I don't support this. (laughs) 